0: Hi, my name is Amy. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 2, 2 through 5. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of the mountains. It will be lifted above the hills. Peoples will stream to it. Many nations will go and say, come, let's go up to the Lord's mountain, to the house of Jacob's God, so that he may teach us his ways and we may walk in God's paths. Instruction will come from Zion, the Lord's word from Jerusalem. God will judge between the nations and settle disputes of mighty nations. Then they will beat their swords into iron plows and their spears into pruning tools. Nation will not take up sword against nation. They will no longer learn how to make war. Come, house of Jacob, let's walk by the Lord's light. The word of the Lord.
1: Hi, my name is Maddie. The New Testament reading is found in Acts 4, verses verses 8 through 12. Then Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, answered, Leaders of the people and elders, Are we being examined today because something good was done for a sick person, a good deed that healed him? If so, then you and all the people of Israel need to know that this man stands healthy before you because of the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. He has become the cornerstone. Salvation can be found in no one else. Throughout the whole world,
0: no other name has been given among humans, through which we must be saved. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is David. Thank you for standing for the gospel, which is found in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has room to spare. If that weren't the case, I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. When I go to prepare a place for you... I will return and take you to be with me, so that where I am, you will be too. You know the way to the place I am going. Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Praise Remain standing as we pray. So Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for demonstrating your love for us through Christ Jesus your Son. As we hear your word today, Lord, would you give us hearts that are ready to receive and to believe all that you are saying and doing in us. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, guys, in the midst of all of the other amazing and wonderful and holy and special and sacred things about today, today is also the five-year mark for New Life Downtown. We are praising God today for his faithfulness, for the way that he's led us. We're praising him for his faithfulness, really on display through all of you. It's you all who are the church. It's you all who have been committed to living out this Jesus life, worshiping together at the Lord's table, connecting with one another at your tables, serving by preparing a table for others to come and to taste and see that the Lord is good. So this is a joyous, joyous day. We had cupcakes in the lobby. You know, for the first service it works because it's like after the service for them. But you guys are all coming in, you're like, cupcakes? Sweet. So you're, you get, some of you are already sugared up, which is fine. There will be cupcakes, probably still some left at the end of service. You can uh, join in the party of that as well. This is the closing week of our series On the I am sayings of Jesus. And so part of what we've done in the season of Lent is to journey with Jesus to the cross. It's a way of intentionally keeping company with Jesus all the way to the cross and then to his resurrection. And so we've wrestled with these sayings that Jesus. Uh, announce these these claims that he made in the Gospel of John. We've opened our service with that question from from Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus asks his disciples, "Who do you say that I am?" But then in John's Gospel, Jesus makes a few "I am" statements himself, and of course, these "I am"s are meant to sort of reverberate in his listeners' minds. They're supposed to sort of make them think about the the voice from the burning bush that spoke to Moses and Moses says who shall i say is sending me and the voice says you tell them i am that I am. And so there's an echo of, of an association that Jesus is making between himself and Yahweh. But actually, each one of the claims also radically identify him with God as the bread of life. He is the provider and the provision. As the light of the world, he is the only one, the wisdom of God, who can bring order out of our chaos. As the resurrection and the life, he is the only one that reconnects us from our distance and the death of our sins, back to God as the a good shepherd. He is the true leader of the people, the only wise one who, can, who lays down his life for the sheep. And as the vine, he is the true Israel and the true source of all of the newness of life that God is giving to us. But today, we come to a saying that probably has caused more trouble for people than anything else Jesus said, and for all of the good things that Jesus said, and for all of the nice and inspiring teachings, for all of the stuff that makes people love Jesus the way they love Gandhi and the Buddha, this is the one that everyone wants to set aside. This is the one claim that trips people up. This is the moment where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why is Jesus the only way? Do we have to believe this? Can't we say that all religions are basically the same? Can't we say that the divine is like the top of the mountain and there are many paths to the top of the mountain? Sure, some might be the official trail, but we're Coloradans. We can take unofficial trails, right? Why must there only be one way? I grew up in Malaysia where Christians make up about 10 or 11% of the population. My father was raised in a Hindu home before converting to Christianity. Every religion has some degree of an exclusive claim. Maybe you might point to Hinduism as saying, well, at least for Hinduism, they're happy to add any god to their pantheon of gods. The more, the merrier, right? Gods just collect them all. That's fine. But even that is a kind of claim, to say that all of these belong together. So every system of belief, every religion, every ancient faith has some degree of exclusivity to their claims. And so what I want to start out by saying this morning is that actually the problem is not the exclusivity of the claim, it's the veracity of the claim. The problem is not the exclusivity of the claim, it's the veracity of the claim. Okay, big word, alert, veracity, truthfulness. Not so much that the, the claim is exclusive, but really the trouble is, but is it true? Is it actually true? So in high school, in, in, in my high school years in Malaysia, we used to go to these night markets and the neighborhood night markets would have all kinds of things for sale and you could buy clothes and watches that were brand name, except that they were not actually the brand name <laughs> clothes. So you could get a Rolex that may or may not be spelled with a B instead, you know, Bolex. Or, and, 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 and when I was, and me and my friends, we kind of liked these, these watches, the Tag Heuer watches. I don't know if some of you know, these are really expensive watches, kind of indestructible lifetime guarantee Tag Heuer watches. None of us could afford a Tag Heuer watch. But at these night markets... You could get a Tag Heuer watch for like $20 if you were good at bargaining, right? Because this is the game that the bargaining is, right? In these, if you've ever been around the world, you start out and you say, how much for this watch? And he says, $95. And you say, and you act like you just can't believe it. You act like he's just asked you for, you know, your entire bank account or something. And you say, $5. And then, and then he acts like he's been mortally wounded by your words. and says, Please you know, go walk away. Right. And so you walk I said, fine, I didn't need the watch. You know, it's fine. I don't, I don't need the watch. You walk away. And then, and then he says, okay, okay, come back, come back. $50. And you say, no man. And then you, then this is like the final bargaining move. You pull out a 20 from your pocket. You're like, this, this is all I got. So it's fine. I don't need to spend it here. I can go buy something else. And he's like, no, $20. No way. No way. You're like, oh, it's fine. And then you walk on, and then they say, like, come back, come back. And you go back and forth until finally you get the fake Tag Heuer watch for $20, right? And you think, this is so great. This watch claims to be a Tag Heuer watch. This watch has numbers on it, like all watches do. 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, right? It's got three hands, a second hand, a minute hand, an hour hand. It's, it's, all watches are the same. All watches are the same. They all tell the time. They all mark, uh, you know, the the amount of seconds that have elapsed. I mean, all watches are the same. And this one even claims to be a tag Heuer. This is amazing. Until a week later. When it's no longer working. Because if something doesn't turn out to be what it claims, you can't depend on it to deliver on its promise. If something doesn't turn out to be what it claimed to be, it can't deliver on its promise. So the issue is not really at the the, the core. It's not that Jesus claimed to be the only way to the Father. It's how reliable is this claim? How true is it? Because if it is true, then everything changes. But if it's not true, then it's like, well, I mean, sure. That's a nice thing to say, right? When we look at this text... There's a couple things, a couple reasons why we have to take this claim seriously. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And each of those three things are distinct. And yet, the emphasis in the text is definitely on the word way. Because he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And the whole phrase, the whole conversation began because he said to Thomas, you know the way. And Thomas says, no, man, I don't know the directions. I don't know the road. He's like a literalist, you know? And Jesus is like, no, I I am the way. So the way is kind of the centerpiece of these three phrases. And we might even say it this way. Jesus is the way because he is the truth about God. Jesus is the way because he is the truth about God. Listen to how the conversation unfolds. In verse 7, Jesus says, look, if you have really known me you will have also known the father from now on you know him and have seen him and philip said lord show us the father and that will be enough for us and jesus replied don't you know me philip even after i have been with you all this time whoever has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father jesus is the truth about god he is the truth about God. Whatever else you thought about God, Jesus as if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you want to know the truth about what God is like? Look at me. You know the Father. How have we, we don't know the Father. You've seen the Father. How have we seen the unseeable God? Because you've seen me. He is the way because he is the truth about God. But more than that, Jesus is the way because he is the truth the very life of God. John 14, verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I have spoken to you I don't speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me does his work. This is, this from the, the many ways that Jesus talks about his relationship with the Father is how early Christians began to work out something like a Trinitarian theology because they're saying, wait a minute, I don't understand. He's in the Father, the Father's in him. Another way of saying it is Jesus is the very life of God. This is why the creed says, through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Now, the Father is not just the first person of the Trinity, but that image is a metaphor to us of the originator, the fountainhead of all things that exist, the Father. And so when Jesus is the Father's in me doing his works, it's another way of saying, yeah, the, 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 there is this essence. Uh, the very life of God is my life. You want to be connected to God. You want to be connected to the author of life. Be connected to me. Jesus is the way because he is the very life of God. That means, as we said a couple weeks ago, that The way to the father is not a formula. That means that we are no longer talking about some vague notion of there's a deity, there's a God, he's up there and we're distant. And so what's the ritual that allows us to get to him? Or what's the rule that I got to obey to get to? Those are all different conceptions of God. When Jesus says these words, he's not just making a claim about himself, he's making a claim about what God is actually like. That you can't just take this as some generic version of God up there, and so there's some path to to kind of follow, and then you'll get to him. He's saying, no, 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 listen, the path is a person, and the person is Jesus. Jesus. The path is a person and the person is Jesus. This is not a formula or a ritual or a rule or four steps or three laws or whatever else. This is about Jesus. And once you start to see Jesus, you understand, wait a minute, everything I've thought about God now has to be reimagined. Everything for the early Christians this is how they began to say wait a minute maybe this one God we believe in one God who is the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and they began to find ways to express this because because of Jesus their whole vision of God had to be reimagined everything had to be reimagined I want to tell you why it's good news that Jesus is the only way it's good news because of all the rest that happened in John 13 and John 14. See, this conversation doesn't emerge out of nowhere. It's not a chapter called the exclusive claim of Jesus, chapter 1, paragraph A. I am the only way to... It emerges out of a whole scene, and this is the scene. John 13, Jesus is having Passover with his disciples. And it says, Jesus, when he knew that all authority in heaven and on earth was his, removed his outer robe, took up the towel of a servant and the basin of a servant and began to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, who was in the room that night? Peter was in the room that night. Peter, who just a little bit later would deny that he ever knew Jesus. No, no, I'm not with this man. Who else was in the room that night? Judas was in that room that night. Judas who would dip his bread and then betray Jesus with a kiss. Who else was in the room that night? Thomas, the one who said, I'm not going to believe until I see the wounds. Wait a minute. (laughs) You mean the unfaithful Peter, the doubting Thomas, and the betraying Judas are all in the room with Jesus. And Jesus, who knew all that was going to transpire, removes the outer robe of his authority and takes up the towel and the basin of a servant and washes the feet of these men. Peter says, Jesus, you can't wash, but this is, for, this is servant stuff. And Jesus is like, exactly. He said, well, then Jesus, listen, why don't you wash all of me? Jesus is like, Peter, missing the point. This is not about personal hygiene. This is about me demonstrating the truth about God. You see, it's good news that Jesus is the truth about God because the truth about God is that he is not against you. The truth about God is that he came to wash your feet. The truth about God is that he comes to you in the middle of your doubt and your failure and your shortcomings betraying denying doubting soul that we are the truth about god is that he comes to wash your feet that's why that's good news and why is it good news that jesus is the life of god because that means the life that was given on the cross was not just the life of a good human teacher Or the life of a political martyr. Or the life of a person who upset the authorities a little bit too much. It was the very life of God poured out for the world. It's good news that Jesus is the truth about God because it means the truth about God is that God washes the feet of sinners. It's good news that Jesus is the life of God because it means God gave his life away for his enemies. And so on Palm Sunday they sing Hosanna and they welcome Jesus in and he's riding on a colt just as Zechariah said the Messiah would. But the idea, the image is someone riding in in a time of peace because the, the war to end all wars had already been waged and so now the peaceful Messiah could come in to Jerusalem as a conquering king. But Jesus comes in knowing that the only war that will end all wars is for God to die. The death that ends all death. One of the early preachers of the church, John Chrysostom, said, You trample death by death. Not by shedding other people's blood, but by shedding his own. Nobody saw this coming. But this is the truth about God. This is the life of God. And this is why it is good news. This is why it is good news, because it means that no other picture of God tells the whole truth about God. It means that other watches may tell the time, but only the real thing will last forever, right? So other other ways means, oh, there's something true about that. Oh, there's something uh, correct about that. There's something encouraging about that. But in the end, they will all fail because there's only one truth and life And way, and it's Jesus, and it's good news because anything less would not be. Anything less would not be. So if Jesus is not fully the the only way to God, if Jesus is not the truth about God, if Jesus is not the very life of God, that means something else could be. And so then you're like, well, what if it is true that God is an angry, capricious deity? And they're like, what if it is true that God's actually going to take our actions and weigh them on the scales of eternity and see if the good... out? What if God really is the kind of God that will make us... What? How do you know? And the reason it's good news is because Jesus actually is the very life of God, the very truth of God, and therefore the only way to God. Exclusive... An exclusive claim like that can be remarkable news. But here's where English can trip us up. Because you hear the word exclusive and you immediately think, ah, this is excluding people. And so maybe it's better to think of it as, as this. Jesus puts the picture of God in focus. He is a, the partic- he's giving us particularity in our vision about God. Saying God, God is like this, not like that but not exclusive in the sense that this is only for some. This is good news that is available to all who call on his name, right? To all who call on his name, all who call on his name may be saved. The exclusive claim of Jesus is good news that extends to everyone that is available for everyone, that everyone can now receive and respond and belong to God in this way. But you know, the tragedy of this is that for so many of us, this good news of Jesus has become bad news for the world. And so all of a sudden, instead of saying, or Jesus is the way, isn't this amazing because now we know the truth about God or now we know the very life of God. Instead, we've taken it to say, oh, Jesus is the only way. That means you're wrong and you're going to hell. That means you're, you're terrible and this is not going to work. And, you're gonna, you know, and all of a sudden, it all turns into a condemning news instead of good news. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus makes this announcement, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's done it right after washing the feet of his disciples. And you know, the other time in the New Testament, we heard it in our New Testament reading today, when Peter says, No other name under heaven shall be given by which humankind shall be saved. No other name. What has Peter just done? He's just healed the lame man outside the temple. In other words... Jesus being the only way has to be good news for the world. I'm not saying there is no final judgment. There absolutely is. I'm just saying that it's not your business to become an expert in who's going to hell. (laughs) Right? We said in the creed, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Who? He will. So sometimes I talk with young people who say, I don't know, I don't know, does being a Christian mean that I have to all of a sudden say to people that you're going to hell and you're going, no, it absolutely does not. Being a Christian means you have to believe that Jesus will judge the living and the dead. And like everything else about the Christian life, the question is, can you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus to be just and merciful and holy and all that is required to be the one that sits on the throne? So don't turn the good news about Jesus being the way into bad news because now all of a sudden you're an expert in saying who's not going to make it, right? You say, well, I'll tell you what it means for you and what it means for you and what it means for you. No, listen, preach Jesus as the way. Don't become an expert in who's going to hell. But there's something else. The way, as we've already mentioned today, is a metaphor. It's not just a literal path. It's also a paradigm. So the word way refers to the means and the model, the path and the paradigm. If Jesus is the way, that means Jesus is not just the path to the Father. He's also actually a paradigm of a new kind of life. A new way to live. When Jesus says, I am the way, he's not just saying, okay, good, I I am the means of access to God. Yes, he is a means of access to God, the only means of access to God, but he is also a model for a new way to live. How do we know this? Because of what happened just a few verses earlier. Remember when the Gospels were written, when all of the New Testament was written, when all of the Scriptures were written, there were no chapter divisions or verse divisions, right? So this all flows together and just a few lines up. After washing the feet of his disciples, Jesus says in John 13, I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you, so you also must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, when you love each other. Jesus is saying, okay, okay, I'm going to tell you that I am the way, but that doesn't just mean the means to God, I'm also the model for life. I'm not just the path to the Father. I'm the paradigm for living. This is the way we are to live. And so what this means for us is that we are invited to believe in Jesus as the way and to live the Jesus way. Now look at that for a minute. We are invited to believe in Jesus as the way and to live the Jesus way. Now, It's my observation that for many Christians, we pick one or the other. And so some of us love the Jesus way. Like, I love the Jesus way. So forgiving, peacemaking, it's nonviolent. I love the sacrificial love. I embrace the Jesus way is everything. I love the Jesus way. I give my life to the Jesus way. And then you say, but do you believe also that Jesus is the only way like well i don't know i mean there's some other good things out there i mean maybe i mean i'm not sure right or the other group that says i know i believe jesus is the only way to be saved and he's the only assurance of salvation but actually living the jesus way of humility and forgiveness and service is like well i don't know why do we have to do that I raised my hand. I came down front. I checked the box. I signed the card. I believe in Jesus, says the only way. My passport is stamped for glory. So, so hang on a minute. Jesus is inviting us to follow him. Follow him. Along the way. What way? The only way that leads to the Father. He is the means and the model, the path and the paradigm. We believe in Jesus as the way, and we live the Jesus way. If you are radical about one and indifferent to the other, you're missing the heart of the gospel. If you're radical about one part of this phrase and indifferent to the other part of it, you're missing the heart of the gospel, because the heart of the gospel, remember, is not a transaction where we say, I'll believe and thank you, I'll take eternity in heaven, hallelujah. She said, it's me. The path is a person. So if it's me, then give your life to me. Believe in me as the way and follow me as the Jesus way. This is the way to live it out. The thing that I have been so overwhelmed with gratitude about is how all of you at New Life Downtown, we are committed to putting both sides of this sentence together. We're committed to being people who faithfully witness to Jesus as the only way, and to live our lives the Jesus way. So before New Life Downtown began, when the elders had said, yeah, let's do this, New Life Church, let's start our first congregation off-site. We had a little meeting up at this house on the hill. It's no longer there. The Pinery stands there, which we enjoy for our volunteer parties once a year. But there was a house up there. there's a couple of room, roommates, uh, 20-somethings that used to live there. And I remember going up there and having kind of our first informal little meeting to say, what do you guys think about new life? You know, but instead of starting that way, we played a little game. We played a little word association game. And I said, okay, why don't you... Here's a card. Why don't you write down the first few words that come to mind when I say this word? And so then I said a word. I said, church. <laughs> that was a fun one to start with. And people writing here's my associations, good and bad. Jesus. Can okay, write that down? And all of a sudden, a conversation began to emerge to say, what would it look like to have a congregation in this part of our city? They committed themselves to following the Jesus way. And so on Palm Sunday, 2012, we gathered in this old church on South Weber, Called the Carter Payne, and it had just been bought by this couple and kind of, you know, renovated a little bit, and beautified. We crammed in there with these white folding chairs, and Chris Burley and and Jin Kim were like folding care chairs and loading them in this like external storage every week. And Jim and Martha are doing what Jim and Martha always do, which is taking care of everyone, right? And we overflowed, and then Easter Sunday was the next week, and people wanted to come to, to service, and they couldn't come because they couldn't fit, because the, the, the room generously would have seated 190 or so. We had over 200 in there per service, and people were sitting on the windowsills and on the floors. There was no like, altar, no stage. Our worship leader, Greg, and, and then Abby was playing this mandolin, and Greg would stomp on his feet, and the kids are downstairs meet, doing like children's ministry in offices, And they're like, oh, the ceiling is shaking, you know, because the worship's going. And after a few months of that, we're like, we can't stay in that. And so I remember having a meeting and Dave and Haley Wilson, we were talking with them about coming to Palmer High School. And I was like, I don't think Palmer would ever work. I don't think a church could be in Palmer, you know, it's the oldest high school. And I just don't know. And I think it was you, Haley, that said, I can see it. I can see it. Let's not, let's not rule that out. And I was like, I want to rule that out. And we didn't rule that out. Thank God we didn't rule that out. Late August of 2012, we moved in here and we got this huge box truck. And again, Chris and I, you know, Chris and Jin and I, I think we got cheeseburgers on a Saturday and a rental truck and then prepared for Sunday and drove everything down here and we're unloading and loading and all of the stuff that began to transpire. I think about Leonard and Joy Lake always cutting up bread for communion, you know, until we finally switched to crackers. I think about... Stephen and Linda, Todd, and all the different people that came on that Saturday night to set up the night before. And just the way that things grew, I remember standing here in this corner saying, in the summer of 2012, I think our vision for community life together is to do meal groups, and we're not going to worry about everything. Let's just get together and have a meal together. And different ones of you opened up your home. There was a single gal who had an apartment downtown, Stevie, she opened up her home, Curtis and Deb Carver opened up their home, and all of a sudden, two meal groups, three meal groups, four meal groups. Then Evan came on staff, began to help us take over some of that. And all of this started growing. I remember the time when we were only doing one service here, we tried to do a potluck after church, and it totally bombed. You know, like the food was way cold by the time I was done preaching. And, uh, And people, and we ran out of food, and people had to go run and go get fried chicken from the grocery store. And we did our first Church in the Park event. We're like, let's grill hamburgers and hot dogs. And we ended up grilling for hours and hours. Lou Stancer burned all of the hairs on his arm. And we fed a number of people who were not yet part of our church, but who had been um, putting up residence at that park that weekend. And so we were able to provide meals for them. I remember when Bobby Miklas challenged us to think about spending an hour of our week to mentor a child at Queen Palmer Elementary And then hearing the challenge again from Bobby and Matthew Ayers and others to say, let's go give a week of our summer and hang out with foster kids at Royal Family Kids Camp and watching all of you respond to that. When I think of New Life Downtown, I think of a people who are committed not only to Jesus as the way, but to living out the Jesus way. So we celebrate five years of you being faithful to the Lord and doing that. And we look forward to all of the journey ahead with the team that we've added in our staff and all that God is doing at New Life Church. Think of Nueva Vida and New Life Manitou, these congregations that were not yet part of our family, New Life Friday night, back when this began. And now, all of a sudden, how it continues to multiply. But it doesn't multiply for the sake of a church's name. It multiplies because of what Jesus said. The world will know that you're mine by the way that you love one another. So may God give us the grace to not only believe in Jesus as the way, but to live out the Jesus way as we wash the feet of sinners and skeptics and doubters and betrayers and lay down our lives to welcome others into the family of God. Amen. Would you bow your heads this morning?